You are listening to First Church Charlotte. As a collective church body, we want to take a moment and remember those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And it's humbling if you think about it, if you reflect on any of it, if you read any of the stories, the heroic stories of those who have uh, given their life. It's very humbling and it will slow you down for a moment. And I think it's appropriate that, that we do that. And so we are going to direct our, our teaching today in the same line, the same kind of path as the whole nation is taking this, this weekend to remember uh, those who have paid the price for our freedom. Before I get into my scriptures, before I get into teaching, I want you all to know how much we miss you. Uh, those of you I see at a distance, um, I can't hug you today, but I promise you when the day comes where I can give you a big hug, um, you're going to consider yourself very well hugged by me <laughs> because we, we love you and we miss you. To all of you who are not here today, um, I'm sure you're dying to know how many people showed up. And uh, you're at your house and you're just in your pajamas. And I want you to know, God, I guess, can bless you there. Uh, but it does feel really good here in the house of the Lord. And uh, we are, we're enjoying worshiping the Lord together. And so um, we still are in a time of, of some risk. Our governor has asked uh, us to consider that and to take our gatherings um, how we gather and the style in which we gather into consideration and he is no longer ordering churches because of the court cases that have happened recently uh, but he has requested and I think it's appropriate that we acknowledge the the risks that a, a illness like this can cause and so we have made adaptations uh, uh, you can read about those on our website how we are trying to respond to that another thing we're going to be doing uh, at least as we continue through this this phase two um, I think, you know, the world perceives, so somebody, let me say it this way, we can just gather together and pretend like we're are doing our own thing, um, but a lot of people in our community can perceive that as insensitivity or not having care for others. We want to try to thread the needle. We want to exercise our religious right to come together and worship, but at the same time, we want to do it in an appropriate way and in a manner where the friends and neighbors of the church can at least have some sense that we are modifying ourselves uh, to be to, to handle this in an appropriate and an intelligent way. Um, one of the things we've decided to do is we're going to continue to have Wednesday night online as we've been having it. The reason why is by doing that, we cut our exposure as a group from uh, twice a week to once a week. So we half our exposure simply by continuing to have our Wednesday night Bible study online. Secondly, um, a lot of the people who attend that service are some of our, our older people. And I think of all of our services, that would have somewhat more uh, demographic of care. Uh, for that service. So for the foreseeable future, um, as these phases of reopening progress, we're going to continue to do our Wednesday night online. I do have one request for feedback from all of you, however. Uh, if you would like us to make a change on Wednesday night and do a Bible teaching or Bible study with the opportunity for you to ask questions while I am teaching a live format where uh, you're able to text in a question and have uh, someone moderate those and uh, me address them uh, at the end of the Bible study, if that would be helpful uh, or fun in any way. Uh, kind of driving interest. Uh, we are we are here to serve you. You don't serve us. We serve you. And so, if that is uh, something that you think would be uh, beneficial, um, we we can try to make that change. Uh, it's more pressure on me, but hey, I'm a big boy. You know, the worst thing you can do is just ignore me. So, I can take the pressure. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm going to read uh, Joshua chapter number four, and I am going to start reading at verse number. One, and my message title today is simply this What is your plan to remember? What is your plan to remember? Joshua 4, reading at verse number one, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, 
Take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them, the stones, over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight." If you drop down to, well, let's go ahead and read it. Uh, we, 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 don't, we, we don't read too much in our teaching, uh, but let's just, let's just, this is worth reading. Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. This shall, that this may be a sign. Say that with me. That this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So my title, what is your plan to remember? God bless you all. You may be seated. This word memorial that we are celebrating as a country today, um, we use it specifically to refer to those individuals who have paid the ultimate price and given their life for their country. Uh, This is not simply Veterans Day. Many people have served um, and they did not pay that ultimate sacrifice. We honor them on Veterans Day. And to all of you who have served us, uh, we say thank you. Memorial Day is a special remembrance, however, because of those who have served, there is a smaller group who gave all. They went, they knew risk, and that risk caused them to pay the ultimate price. We remember them today. We pause in our schedule and we say thanks to them God wants us to remember also. In fact, this passage we read here in Joshua chapter number four is a commandment given to the house of Israel that they formally remember something that God has done for them. The Hebrew word for memorial literally means to remember. So if God tells you he wants you to build a memorial... It's as though God met you and said this to you. What is your plan to remember what I have done? What is your plan? You need a plan to remember what I have done. What is your plan? Build here a memorial that will organize you and remind you of what I have done for you. As believers, we are in the business of celebrating what God has done for us. Can I have a big amen? God has done more for us than we could ever imagine. God did not leave you where he found you, but he worked with you. He was patient with you. He was long-suffering with you, and he picked you out of a miry pit of spiritual bondage and sinful bondage and today he has set you in a place of freedom and anointing can I have a big amen we must remember and I in my role of a pastor I am consistently looking for how I can take a spiritual concept a spiritual truth and give it to people in a manner that they can hold on to it they they comprehend it and they somehow hold on to it. A lot of ideas at their core can be a little more complex than we would like to admit, and we struggle to keep a grip on those ideas. And if we can have a system whereby we have a formalized understanding, uh, it's very helpful for us. And I, I came across a story that I think shows the power of memory and the need for memorial 
as a nation, and more importantly, as a spiritual people, more than any story I've ever come across. And um, it's from uh, one of the, perhaps the most famous um, neurologist of the last uh, generation. His name, many of you may have read a book by him. He was a very prolific author on the subject of psychotherapy and psychology. His name was Dr. Oliver Sacks. His best-known book was entitled, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Now, when I was growing up, I was a teenager, my dad actually had a copy of this book, and every time I walked by it, I thought somebody, maybe my dad, was a little bit crazy. (laughs) Who has a book entitled, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat? Um, But this is a collection of stories from this uh, neurotherapist, neuropsychologist, who uh, really was a leader in the field of understanding very unique neurological conditions. And if you read the book, it I actually read it, um, it is uh, a, really a fascinating book of how the brain can lose its, bil- uh, its ability to know itself, organize itself, and make sense of the world in which it is placed. Now, in this book, Dr. Sachs tells the story of a man, uh, we'll call him Jimmy, that's what they call him in the book. The first time he met this man was in 1975, and he tells the story in his book of Jimmy coming into his office and very upbeat uh, gentleman, very, very positive gentleman, and he came in there and he said, Hiya, Doc, nice morning. Do I take this chair here? And Dr. Sachs tells about how uh, cooperative Jimmy, Jimmy was and how uh, Jimmy uh, sat down and was very upbeat and energetic. And uh, Dr. Sachs didn't know exactly what to expect because he did not know how uh, various diseases manifest in these patients until he met them and began to work with them. Uh, he answered the questions. Jimmy answered the questions that Dr. Sachs had. And uh, he remembered, Jimmy remembered his childhood home. He remembered childhood friends. He remembered school. He remembered joining the Navy. Uh, He had joined the Navy in 1943. He had been stationed on a submarine uh, during the war. He still remembered and could communicate in fluent Morse code. He could vividly recall the years of his naval service until his memory stopped in 1919, uh, sometime in the uh, late Uh, years of the war, 43, 44, he had a a very rare condition called the Korsakov syndrome, and that is where your brain loses the ability to make a necessary uh, element, a necessary, almost like a mineral or vitamin that is core to your long-term memory. And if you cannot make this vitamin, if you have this Korsakov syndrome, you have no long-term memory. You have some short-term memory, but you have no long-term memory up as soon as that, from, really from the day that condition began till the rest of your life. And Dr. Sachs tells how Jimmy could not remember anything from 1945 to the present where they were interviewing 1975, 30 years of lost memories. He still thought that Truman was the president. He still thought that the periodic table ended with uranium. He thought no one had been to the moon. It was a crazy idea. Some people still think that and they don't even have a condition to blame it on or maybe they have an undiagnosed condition. But moving along, uh, (laughs) he still thought, Jimmy still thought he was 19 years old. There was a problem, however. Jimmy was not 19 years old. Jimmy was 49 years old. And when Dr. Sachs showed him a mirror and showed him his actual face, showed him the wrinkles and the gray hair and the years that were etched upon him. Dr. Sachs said that Jimmy gazed at the middle-aged man in the mirror with the gray hair and he was shocked. He turned ashen and he gripped the sides of the chair and he whispered, what's going on? What's happening to me? Is this a nightmare? Am I crazy? Dr. Sachs calmed him down. 
tried to explain the situation to him, removed the mirror that so terrified the man, left him alone for two minutes to recover. And when he came back, he found him there and the man was looking out a window watching them play baseball in a park outside and he whirled around, he whirled around, he whirled around and he said, hiya doc, nice morning. You want to talk to me? Do you want me to sit here? He had no ability to hold on to memories past that day where his brain lost the ability to form it. He introduced himself to the doctor like they had never met. He stayed there at the clinic with Dr. Sachs for many, many uh, years, and the workers there at the clinic called him a lost soul. Not because he wasn't a soul. Not because he wasn't a fine gentleman, but he truly, better than anyone they had ever seen, anyone they had ever uh, really been exposed to, was lost in time. He was a self. He was a man. He was an individual. But he did not know where he fit in time. He did not know where he fit in the story. Dr. Sachs says this, I have never encountered, even imagined, such a power of amnesia. The possibility of a pit into which everything, every experience, every event would fathomlessly drop. And see, there is a lesson here more than of psychology or neuropathy or anything related. There is a lesson here, not just of a of a condition called uh, Karsakov's. More than that, there is a spiritual lesson in this, and that is if you do not know how to place yourself in a larger story, you are forever lost to who you are and where you fit. The reason why God is wanting his covenant people to build a memorial is it's not enough for God to have done great things for them. They have to live as though God has done great things for them. It's not enough if they have a book that tells them great things. They have to live with a sense of spiritual connection to their creator, to the God who has loved them, made them, saved them. They have to be connected to a larger spiritual placement or they are forever lost souls. Jimmy would build narrative bridges across the abysses, not my words, Dr. Sachs' words, the abysses of amnesia. It was so distressing to him not to know who he was and where he was and understand himself in a place of uh, a linear place of time that rather than accept it his brain would immediately desperately painfully string together narratives that would make his existence make sense he would not actively think he was lying. It happened much lower than that. His brain displaced. His brain, terrified and horrified, would string together, again, the doctor's words, fluent confabulations and fictions of all kinds. One moment speaking as the delicatessen grocer he had once been, next as an imaginary reverend, continually improvising a world of around him, a phantasmagoria, a dream an, of ever-changing people, figures, situations. Losing who you are is so painful, so terrifying, so destructive that you will make something up rather than lose your sense of place. You see, the story of humanity's reach for God 
is shown, I think, very interestingly and with no small spiritual depth in the understanding of what you see in a person who cannot live with a sense that they are lost in time and has to make something up. Every culture, every tribe has looked at the uncertainty of the world, looked at the endless stars of the heaven, and made something up, whether it's mysticism, whether it is some strange idolatry, whatever it is, it is so horrifying for you to be lost in time and place, left hanging on the hook of the eternal why that you just try to pull something together. We have a better plan than making something up. We have the opportunity to listen, to let God tell us who we are and not us tell him who we are. There's a better plan plan than wrestling and fighting with existence. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God will tell you who you are. You see, he made you. He formed you. He fashioned you. He invested a lot in you and he's not ready to give up on you today. He says you are mine. He says you're my son. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Rather than us dreaming God up, why don't we listen to what God says? In the Old Testament, the Lord tells his covenant people to build a memorial here. This is the only place he tells them to build a memorial. In fact, there are many expressions of spiritualized memory in the Old Testament. There are many things that are done to help people remember. In fact, so much of what the house of Israel will do and call praise and worship is a type of spiritual memory. It's a type of institutional memory. Stay with me. I I think this will help you. It certainly has helped me. Joshua 4, I want you to take stones from this place of crossing. The house of Israel is no longer in Egypt. That was the first work of God. That was the first work of God. They couldn't even fight for themselves in Egypt, so God fought for them. And he brought them out with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. Can I have a big amen? He brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God delivered you from sin. He did not ask you to fight that battle. You could not fight that battle. He did not ask you to win over sin. He won it for you. All you had to do was apply the blood to the doorpost of your life and he took you from that place into a wilderness but he wasn't even then done with you he would take you from a wilderness into a promised land at every stage there is this sense of spiritual progress and spiritual becoming and there are acts of remembrance what is the most important act of remembrance of coming out of Egypt it is the celebration of the Passover we celebrate it in a different way yes we celebrate it now more with the institute of the Lord's Supper, whereas the Jews will celebrate it in the manner of the tribe of the Israelites. But even so, it is a Passover celebration. It is a memorial. Stay with me. And you do it in what? Remembrance of what God has done for you. And there's more than that. Coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. He says we're going to build another memorial. Build these stones. God is interested in you remembering what he has done for you. Because if you do not know what he has done for you, you will be spiritually dispossessed. You will be one small error away from spiritual orphanhood. You will be a lost soul not knowing where you're supposed to be, not knowing who you are, and not knowing if there is anyone who cares. You simply will be left upon the tender hooks of existence, the tragedy of the pain you can feel with every iota of your being, and there so desperately strung, you will ask yourself, what's the point? And you'll just 
just make something up. There's something better than that. God wants you to make a memorial of what he has done for you. You didn't get here by accident. He formed you and fashioned you. Life is not an accident. It is intentional. Your place is not an accident. It is intentional. Again and again, the house of Israel is told to remember. Deuteronomy 5 and 15. Moses says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord, your God, has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, as the church, we gather on the first day of the week, on Sunday, in the manner of the New Testament church, but it is the same practice that was fulfilled by the Sabbath. What is happening? It is an act of remembrance. The reason why I come to church, whether I feel like it or not, is more than just because I'm the pastor. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why I come to church is because it is an act of spiritual remembrance. And when I get here, I'm going to be reminded of who God is. And once I settle who God is, it's going to help me know who I am. When I get here, I'm going to be reminded of the great things God has done for me. That's going to remind me that he's bigger than all my problems. He's greater than all my fears. Without an act of remembrance, I become a lost soul. And we gather in this house and we sing songs of praise and songs of worship. And you need to be with us singing songs and praise lest you forget. Right? Remember, this is Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 9 and 7, remember this and never forget how you arouse the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against your Lord. Does anybody have a season of your life that you look back on and you think to yourself, man, I wish I'd have done better? It's easy to look back when you were a sinner and feel better because the Lord forgave you those sins. But once you start serving God, you start thinking better of yourself. And you start being a little bit proud about how good you're doing. And then you look back and you start thinking about how, man, you wish you had handled that situation better. Man, I wish I'd have had a better attitude here. An act of spiritual remembrance won't just remind you of how God saved you from your sins. It'll remind you how God's committed to working with you. And he's committed to encouraging you. And he's committed to re-strengthening you. God is not going to give up on you. The psalmist will say this in Psalms 106 verse number 4. When our ancestors were in Egypt... They gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet you saved them, yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. Verse 12 and 13, the same psalm. They believed his promises and sang his praises, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Hear me today. All you who believe, all you who want to serve God, you need to be reminded on a regular basis of what God has done. The Lord says to you, you need a plan to remember. So, I want you to build a memorial right here. Just as a nation builds memorials to remember those who paid a debt or paid the ultimate price and the rest of us are left with a debt of gratitude to them. In the same manner, spiritual people need to be reminded that you're not lost wandering. God has a big investment in you and God is going to finish what he started in you. You need to be reminded. You once were lost in sin, but Jesus forgave you of that sin. You need to come into the house of the Lord and be reminded that God is able to do just what he said he would do. Real quickly, as I, as I move along here, 
uh, we, I can give you three quick reasons why you need a plan to remember what God has done. Three reasons why you will, if you get this right, need to have your own memorials in your life. Uh, these are three reasons that God gives to the children of Israel as to why they need to build a memorial of this day when God has brought them into uh, the promised land. The first is uh, shown in verse number seven. The writer says these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. It is a reminder of personal experience, a reminder of what God has done for them. Fear will make us quickly forget of uh, what God has done for us, and we will fall into the very carnal habit of being more impressed by our troubles than we are by our God. If you magnify your troubles, your troubles get bigger, but if you magnify God, your problems will shrink and your God will grow greater in your eyes. A memorial is your plan on how you will remember what God has done for you. Archaeologists have discovered small vials in their excavation of ancient cities and these are made of glass and they can be quite ornate and jeweled. Um, The top of the vial is shaped like a trumpet And interestingly, they didn't know at first what they were for, but they understood as they studied and researched. Um, In the olden days, there was a habit of having a vial with which you would collect the tears when you wept for someone you had lost. And you wouldn't simply uh, weep and dry your eyes and that'd be the end of it. But this little vial, you would collect your tears. And archaeologists have found these vials stoppered um, against the loss of those of that moisture, those tears. This becomes an image in the Bible where God makes a promise that he, in this same image, remembers every tear you cried and he bottles them up as a memory. It's referring to the same thing that was very popular in the ancient world. Uh, God remembers you. It's time for you to remember God. The second thing, so the first thing that a memorial does is it this plan on how we're going to remember. It keeps fresh in our mind what God has done for us. The second thing a memorial does is it becomes a generational communication device. A memorial becomes a a, a generational communication advice. Two places in the same chapter, um, Joshua will say to the people that they have responsibility to communicate to their children what God has done for them. A day will come when your children will look at these stones and they will say, what do these stones represent? Remember, a memorial is a generational communication device and you will tell them, This is when God brought us across from the wilderness to a land of promise. Also in verses 21, 22, and 23, it is a reminder to our children. Parents, your children need to see you make an effort to keep memorials before God. Whether that's personal devotion in your home, whether that is attending the house of the Lord, whether that's making a sacrifice to come to the service when it'd be easier to stay at home, Your children need to see it because when they see it, they're going to say, why do we do this, dad? Why do we do this, mom? And then you're going to say to them, we come to church because when we come together, we remember how God brought us out of Egypt. When we come together, we praise him because he did not leave us the way he found us. When we come together, we worship together to thank him for his great and mighty love in our life. A memorial, whether it is a pile of stones in the fashion of an altar or a habit of taking Passover or a gathering of worship and praise becomes a generational communication device. And so the writer says, 
in this passage. When your children ask, have an answer ready why we do this. Number three, Joshua will say the third reason why we should have a plan to remember, why we should build a memorial is this. This is verse number 24. And this brings together not simply the desires of the children of Israel, but the desires of God for the children of Israel. You see, the children of Israel aren't simply chosen because they're so special. God loves them, but God loves the world. God has chosen them to be a bridge to the world. Verse 24, Joshua says, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God wants memorials so you'll know who you are. You'll have spiritual place in the narrative. You'll know where you came from. You'll know where you are and you will know where you are going. You will not simply be trapped in existential angst to use a fancy language. You will not simply be burdened with existence. You'll say, I know how I got here. I know why I'm here and I know where I'm going. It's the power of a memorial. Secondly, you need to communicate to a generation to come that we don't just kind of have the benefit like of the presence and the promise of God in our life, we must remember what he has done for us and celebrate that. It is a memorial to share faith one generation to another. And lastly, it is a testimony to the world that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that we might always fear the Lord. Memorials focus us on what we need to be focused upon. Memorials is a plan, an institutional, a church-wide, a religious plan for remembering what God has done for us. If we don't have an intentional memorial that reminds us of what God has done, we will build memorials of what we have done. And the problem with that is most often the things that people can't get over and can't live down are their own testimonies of guilt and shame. Some of the most broken people you will ever meet are people who are trying to overcome their own memories of what they did wrong. They can't get over a relationship that they had more than their fair share in ruining. They can't get over a broken family that they had more than their fair share blame in dividing. They can't get over their mistakes and they're forever trapped, held, bound by their own memory of guilt and shame. I want to show you something in the scripture here that I think is as beautiful an image as you'll find in any of these Old Testament stories. They cross Jordan. They carry the stones a little ways. How far do they carry? To the place they're going to camp that night. And the name of that place is Gilgal. Verse 19, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. Why would they build a memorial to what God had done at Gilgal? Why would they do it there? Well, interestingly, Gilgal means the place where reproach has been rolled away. The children of Israel have a history of failure. They have a history of error. They failed in Egypt and God was merciful and brought them out. What did they do in, Israel, in Egypt? They forgot God. They forgot God. They had a history of failure in uh, the wilderness and God, for his namesake, brought them out any way. He grew them into a people who could possess what he promised them and he led them to promise. And they carry the stones of their spiritual memorial to Gilgal and they build it there unto the Lord. And Gilgal is the place where reproach has been taken away. Hear me. Your memory of what God has done will help you forget what you have done. 
So many people cannot get to victory because they're bound in a memorial to their own failure. At Gilgal, we're going to build a memorial not to our failures, but to God's faithfulness. At Gilgal, we're going to build a memorial not to our mistakes, but to God's powerful keeping promise. At Gilgal, the shame will be rolled away. And there we build a memorial to God. Forty years of spiritual defeat have been rolled away. I'm almost done. And here you see a place where they build a memorial to what God has done in them so they can begin a new day. This is more than just the memorial of a past. It is a testimony of grace. And it is a promise that the God who brought them to this point will take them all the way home. What are the memorials you need to build in your life as our musicians come? What are the memories you need to hold in your life? What is your plan to remember what God has done? Let me close by coming full circle to this story we talked about earlier told by Dr. Oliver Sacks of this man named Jimmy. Dr. Sacks tells how Jimmy would wander around the clinic almost always unmoored almost always unsure of where he fit, almost always horrified by the reality of his broken self, desperately making up narratives where it can make some kind of sense, desperately stringing together threads where he can have some kind of sense. Dr. Sachs said there was one time consistently where this seemed to be lost on him and he seemed to be comfortable this man Jimmy and who he was and that was when Jimmy would slip into the chapel that was in the hospital and there in the chapel Jimmy would participate in communion and partake of the Lord's Supper Dr. Sachs himself was not a believer and he does not write this as a believer He writes this as an observer, as one who sees testimony. I'm going to give you his description. Dr. Sachs, seeing Jimmy partaking in the Lord's Supper, notices that this disassociated state is lost. This not knowing who he is is lost. And these are his words, Dr. Sachs' words. Fully, intensely, quietly, In the quietude of absolute concentration and attention, this man, Jimmy, entered and partook of holy communion. He was wholly held, Dr. Sachs says. There was no Korsakoff syndrome then. For Jimmy was no longer at the mercy of meaninglessness. That's so awesome. (laughs) Jimmy was no longer at the mercy of meaningless sequences and memory traces, lost memory traces. But at this moment, Jimmy was wholly absorbed in an act. I want you to hear what I said, an act. Wholly absorbed in an act of his whole being. I love this image so much because memorials are when you put memory into action. When we come together and we lift our hands in worship, it's a memory woven in action. It is a memorial threaded in song. It is uplifted hands. It is gathered hearts. It is unction of the presence of God. We have put memory into an act. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're not simply trying to hold it together in our minds what God had done for us. We've put memory in an act. When we come to the house of the Lord on a Sunday, when we celebrate a formal day of celebration in the church like Easter or Pentecost Sunday or something of that nature when we put memory into an act we no longer have to hold it together because we're acting it out 
And what made Jimmy able to bring it together is he no longer had to hold it together. He simply had to act it out. The reason why in your life you need to set aside your busyness, direct your heart toward God, lift your hands and praise Him and worship Him is it's not enough for you to keep it together, honey. You need to act it out. You need to say, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done to me. When the sun comes up in the morning, I'm going to say thank you, Jesus. When the sun goes down at the end of the day, oh my goodness, I wish I could preach. I'm going to say thank you, Jesus. When I can't keep it together, I'm going to act it out. I'm going to clap my hands. (laughs) I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to praise him. Let me preach to everybody here today and everybody watching this online. We have a merged congregation right now. That's okay. Let me say this to you. You're never going to always be able to keep it together. You will fight to know who you are. Oh, y'all aren't going to hear me today. That's all right. I'll preach to the folks in their pajamas sitting in the... uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need you guys in your pajamas to say amen because they're sitting on me here today. This is what I want to say to you. Your brain is going to struggle to keep it together. You're going to have to fight to know that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're going to have to hold on to a promise of God when you're filled with fear. When your friends turn their back on you, you're going to feel lost. When your enemy comes in like a flood, you're going to feel hopeless. But when you can't keep it together, honey, you can still act it out. I want to praise you because you have not left me. I want to worship you because you have not abandoned me. I can't keep it together, but I can sure act it out. And so both hands go in the sky. This voice gets lifted, and I say, great is my God. Memorial is how we act out the memory of what God has done. The memory of what God has promised. The memory of who we are in his plan. The memory of what he's doing with us. And the memory of what he's promised to do. I can't always keep it together, but I can always act it out. You get me a good keyboard player. You get me a good guitar. You get me a good bass player. You get me a rhythm department. Let me tell you more. You just let me hang out by myself and I'll be all for all by myself. I will act it out. And when I act it out, it'll help me remember that God will do just what he said he would do. Let's all stand. Church becomes an act of collective memory. Praise becomes an act of collective memory. Worship becomes a celebration of collected memory. When we sing together, when we gather our hearts, it is collective memory. It is reminding ourselves. We are not spiritual orphans. We're not randomly tossed upon some uncertain sea of existence. God placed us here and God has a purpose for us and God has a plan for us and a future for us. We're no longer orphans. We're in God's hand. Now, I want to show you one last thing. One last thing. It's easy to see this in Old Testament terms. It's easy to see this in the sense, whether people remembered, is this a spiritual truth that should be lived out by the church today? Or is this just more of an Old Testament thing? Remembrance. Remembering is so important that it becomes one of the works of the Holy Spirit in your life. Oh, I don't know if y'all heard me, but just just, just listen real quick as I read John 14, verse number 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom God, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring 
to your, say it with me, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. One of the reasons why you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is because you need a voice beside the carnal voices of this world to tell you who you are. You need God to tell you who you are. You need more than a rebellious society to tell you who you are. You need God to whisper in your ear, you're not an orphan, you're my child. I am yours and you are mine. Don't be fearful of the terrors that fly by day. (laughs) Don't worry about the pestilences. Uh, Oh, I'm preaching about the real world now, aren't I? Now, don't be taking off your mask. I'm not talking about being silly. I'm talking about who we are in God. Wherever you are, whatever living room you're in, pray with me right now. We're all going to pray here. We can't have an altar like we normally have. And so we're going to have to learn how to have an altar standing in our, our seats. It's okay. He's the same God and the same powers in the room. I want you to see right where you're standing as a, a holy place. And I want you to turn your heart toward God. And I want you to bask in his presence. And I want you to begin to think about what God has done for you. I want you to remind yourself who God says you are. I want you to remind yourself of the promises of God that have been invested in you. Right where you're standing, that's right. I'd like you to turn your hearts heavenward. Those of you in your homes, I'd like you right there to let that become a sacred place. We're going to stand and hold a memorial of what God has done, who God says we are, what God will do. Our worship team is going to lead us in worship all across the city, all across the metro. Let's stand in His presence right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for every individual under the sound of my voice, every person that is watching this, maybe even not at this exact moment, maybe later they watch this. But right now, Lord, I pray that their eyes are open enough to have a sense of Your presence near to them. And I pray, Lord, they would be challenged in their heart to ask themselves what their plan is to remember what you have done in their life. Lord Jesus, would you awaken within them the need to remember, the need to hold dear, the need to hold strong your word, the need to celebrate your promise. As a church, we don't ever want to get lazy in remembering the greatness of God. We don't ever want to get flip and spiritually entitled as though we're owed something. We're not owed anything. It's the goodness of the Lord that allows us to experience all that we are given spiritually. Touch your people right now. In Jesus' name we Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.